All right, podcast listeners, I'm back already with another podcast. Uh, this is episode 34, I believe. Today I am with uh, my dear old friend DJ Eldon. Uh, when did we meet? Do you wow, remember? That's that's an interesting story because uh, I would think it would have been in the early 90s. That I, that's what right? I would have figured too, because I moved to San Francisco in '93, and I oh, think you know the the whole rave thing was popping. Let's say between '90 90 and '93. Yeah, and um, it, and it was before. Must have crossed paths in there. Oh yeah, yeah, and it was uh, it was before you moved because I remember you signing a poster for me before you moved. Yeah, that's that was just before it. you. Moved. No, that's what I recollect too. Yeah. It was it was that time. You were very encouraging of my. Yeah. decision to leave school and go pursue art in an exciting yeah. new city as were my professors at the time actually yeah, that's great you know that's even great. though i was giving up a scholarship yeah. it was just like ah, go do that yeah yeah wow. so um tell me about yourself like where'd you grow up when you know what well, era i'm i was born and raised here so here I'm, I'm, I'm a new mexico kid that's you know? cool i i didn't know that yeah i was born and raised here okay what um, year were you born i was born in 59 okay cool so i'm an old cat now no that's just it it just puts a place on things yeah, so you were yeah. born here in albuquerque in 59 that's right well holy shit there's a whole story in and of itself <laughs> like you've seen albuquerque yeah. develop you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it must I mean, have been amazing. We, in we were in the, the 60s. Yeah, my father uh, had uh, had been uh, in the military uh, and had uh, had married my mom. They were from southern New Mexico, and uh, they had traveled in the military for uh, for years, uh, Waco, Texas, and you know, and and he did his stint in the Air Force. And then he came back here to the labs because he was able to get a job with the, with Sandia Labs, and so uh, yeah, it was like a little Mer Middle America family, you know, with the yeah. first home and and whatnot. And I was, uh, and I was the third child, okay. um, first ch the only child here in New Mexico. They had had, had two uh, my sisters uh, uh, elsewhere, but uh, then then it was here, you know. So I grew up here, born and raised here. And, uh, of course, had big family because the family was from southern New Mexico, a, a large Hispanic family. Um, and um, and uh, went to school here in Albuquerque, you know, okay. just public school here in yeah. Albuquerque. Which high school did you graduate I, from? I graduated from Del Norte. Oh, me too. And top top of my class in Del Norte, you know, I was, really? I was up there. I, well, yeah, I mean, I was too. I was number uh, 21 out of 400, and, and I, that's what gave me the scholarship to UNM. And I was number three. Wow, yeah, okay. So and I how think, big was your class, your uh, graduating four, seniors? 400 and almost oh, 500. Oh, see, damn, yeah. damn near big, where mine Big was. classes. You they split Del Norte up when I was there because La Cueva opened, mm -hmm. and they took students from all those wow. different districts. So my graduating class was much much smaller than usual for yeah. the late 80s yeah and huh, see i don't i don't even remember del norte yeah because when i went to del norte i was already in radio mm. i had i had gotten special permission to uh to attend the university of albuquerque which is now saint pius high school but it was the university oh, of albuquerque okay. at that time and so I got special permission to get into the radio program. 
And when um, was that? Like 70s? that was in that was yeah that was um, in the seventies and and um, and I was it, it, I was enthusiastic about that because it was all soul music, and that was my love was rhythm and blues. Yeah. So I, I really pursued that heavily. Where did I mean, that love come that. from? Well, it came. I mean, again, from, you're growing up in New Mexico. Like, yeah, where are you catching and, the and, army? And you know, <laughs> and, and you know, my sisters were big fans of the Beatles and 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 uh, the Rolling Stones and all the uh, kind yeah. of rock and and. Uh, but my love was all from from uh, from R and B, and I think it came from just the fact that I would tune into these radio stations late at night you could catch these stations on these these uh, jumps you know you so you so I'd hear Denver and I'd hear uh, I'd hear Dallas yeah. you know and I'd catch these things every you know kind of um, you know but but uh, I was a real fan of uh, of the black station in Denver and then here's the craziest part a few doors down from from us lived a guy named Neil Murray and he went he he was a huge broadcaster okay. uh, a TV broadcaster on KOAT TV which still, he's a black still he was a black um, um, and he did this show called on your behalf okay. but he befriended me you know it yeah. was it was the craziest thing because we were and i used to go over and he used to play these old tapes from philadelphia because he was a philly dj priest oh. from the east in philadelphia priest from the east and I remember and, they had all the cool nicknames back yeah, then yeah. yeah that's awesome and so he encouraged me um to pursue radio and that's what I did. I kind of pursued radio in that realm, you know. So, so uh, he provided um, kind of encouragement, but I did it on my own as far as going to the, you know, bugging them at the radio station until they really. Uh, I did the same thing do. at KUNM when I was in college. Yeah. I would, was on Street Beat on Friday nights. Yeah. And he did KUNM, by the way. When, oh, when okay. I when I knew him, he was doing a little little show with the old Soul Show on KUNM. Yeah. yeah. Uh, back in those days. Yeah. Well, and so that's it. That's how I got in. Yeah. So did you have to? I remember there was the what's the organization that oversees all the radio stuff? That's like the federal organization. The F, uh, F, F, uh, FCC. The, right, the yeah. FCC. So you had to have license. get like a, an FCC license, license to even yeah. broadcast license at that have time. your voice on the air at that time. Yeah. yeah. So you had to go through that process back then. Oh yeah, and then sure. so so I did all of that, and worked uh, after school in in ninth grade, ninth and tenth grade. Wow, you and were then, young doing all that. Yeah, and and you know I had this thing, you know, it, it was, uh, uh, and I went by the name Elder Nose Career. You know, I don't, you know, that's kind of what I cool. started doing. And then, yeah. and I had this whole uh, very, uh, very soulful persona on on radio. Sure. And then, then well, I was part of it, right? Yeah, but, but then. Like, like, like part of your marketability as a radio host was the personality that you put across. I'm thinking of like Wolfman Jack. Oh, that yeah. A right. lot of, yeah, I mean, sure. I can't imagine any, any young people that or most of my listeners know who that is, but right, right, right. but you know what I mean. There was there was that personality, like WKRP in Cincinnati was a popular show right. when I was young. Oh yeah, all about radio and DJs. About and they radio, all had these yeah. really 
like colorful personalities that came across in the air and attracted listeners and they yeah. could get um, better jobs in better cities because of their listenership, let's yeah. say. And I was a shy guy. I mean, I was never one that wanted to be the front man and wanted sure. to do MC work and all of that. I was pretty shy. But behind the mic, you know, you're in a studio with nobody there. You can do whatever you that's, want. That's, yeah, can, that's can, what I would think. You can let go. My experience there, too. Yeah. You're really just in a booth by yourself for the most right. part. Right. You can take phone calls and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a whole different so, thing. So in high school... That's where I went to KRZY. I got hired so that I would only go a half day to school and then I'd work at the radio station. And I was so lucky because uh, Ray Moran, who ran the station, you know, he saw me as, as a pretty bright kid. Uh, and, he, he, and he was needing a music director at that time. And so basically kind of showed me the ropes and I became music director at, at KRZY, which was country radio, totally out of my league, not something oh. that I was really what, into. What, would, what, what is the position of music director? Well, it was someone who could look at, look at the charts, pick the songs that were go, going up the charts, of course, with the, early on with, with the help of, of sure. uh, the program director, etc., but, you know, they'd say, you know, we're going to add this, this, this. And then I'd do all the work. I mean, I'd put physically put them in the carts so that they could be played and labeled and all that. So, and then I had this amazing music library that I took care of. So you were kind of setting things up for the on-air DJ, let's Absolutely, say. Yeah, Getting yeah. all the, the tracks yeah. ready. And, yeah. the, and then I um, worked weekends, midnight to six, Friday wow. and Saturday nights. I, yeah, I had a job from midnight to 8 a.m. for about six months in San Francisco. It was the roughest job I ever had. That's a rough, yeah. Is that, that zombie lifestyle is yeah. trippy. Like and it, you're and totally it, in the reverse, going home when everybody's going to work. But what made it even worse was during the week, I was normal. And then oh, the weekend... Yeah, you, I wasn't you, doing that. You switched. <laughs> you you yeah. switched roles. Yeah, no, that's rough. But you know that was that was. But that's what you had to do. I feel like they would give you those shifts that needed to be covered, and break you in and see if you were really had the metal to to deal with the business too. You know, it's like, well, let's see if the kid can do the the graveyard shift. You know, well, it was and yeah, you prove was, yourself, and then they give some other young person that opportunity and push you along, or you're yeah, fired, right? Because yeah, you don't yeah, show yeah. up because you're like, screw this yeah. job, it starts at midnight, you know? Yeah, they tell you one thing about radio broadcasting you do not not show up, you have to show up. Oh, sure. I mean, it, it, one one time you don't show up, you're, you're pretty much that's oh, it. yeah, no, that's yeah. that's devastating, I would yeah. imagine. So then you got so you got to know country music, I would imagine. I did, yeah, time. but but here's the thing. So I went from a non-really known black-oriented station mm-hmm. to a top, one of the top um, country stations in the whole country. I mean, just as far as like building a resume, though, and an understanding of music, that's pretty broad. Yeah, yeah, it was (laughs) really, yeah. Yeah. And and the nicest part about that when looking back, because I really didn't care at the time, was that all these wonderful stars would come by. So on any given day, Merle Haggard would drop by. 
or you know Waylon Jennings or Dolly Parton. Were they Parton. doing like on air promo kind of yeah. things because yeah. they were in town? Yeah, because yeah. that was another thing I well, remember about radio. It was like, oh well, if they're coming to town, they're going to be on the radio. We got to listen. Yeah, what people don't realize that in this town there used to be a place called the Caravan East. Was a my huge, parents used to go there. This this was a huge nightclub. Oh, my parents are gonna be so excited you're talking it, it about here. It was a country and western. How big was it? I mean, tell people because I, I know. Mean, I know. I mean, it was the parking lot itself. I mean, it was like yeah. as big as a Walmart is. Well, it, it probably held five hundred people to yeah. may, maybe a thousand. But at that time, that was a big bar, That's and that the thing. that was the circuit. So yeah. the, so these groups, which you know, they they weren't. Like they are now, where country music is, uh, you know, pop music basically. Very so, big distinction. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was an, a, a somewhat underground movement at that time. I wouldn't say underground, but it was. It was it not. It was a big part of the cultural appeal of this place. Like my yeah. folks moved from upstate New York, and I think they were very excited about the country. whole Western thing. And part of that was wow. country music. That's interesting. Absolutely, yeah. and they loved to go to happy hour there and dance, yeah. learn the different dances and stuff, yeah. and dress in that attire. Yeah. Really play play so, the game, you know, and so, enjoyed it. So here I was. I <laughs> was a funny. sixteen-year-old. No way I was going to be able to get in that place or see it. I mean, I did Classic see. Classic story it. of the DJ, right? Too young to actually be there. But at the same time, I saw all those groups. All those groups came by the radio station because they wanted to to yeah. give themselves a plug. You know, well, you got way more one-on-one -on -one contact with them with oh, that, yeah, that kind great. of situation. It was wonderful. Huh, I mean, my, cool. my my you know sitting down with Willie, Willie, Willie Nelson. Nelson? You know, oh my God! I can only I'm, imagine multiple times. You know that was really? that was amazing. Huh? Yeah. He was a good dude. Yeah, and you know, and and I I actually at that time, in addition to all of that, was doing uh, was doing concerts, um, actually setting up you know a stagehand for concerts. Oh, okay. So I would do all the dirty work, whatever concert I could could possibly do. Yeah. And I, I remember they had, I, I can remember specifically Willie Whalen, Emmy Lou Harris. Um, there, there were three, maybe Merle was with them, I'm not sure, but there was, a, and it was at the stadium, it was a, a big show. And it was like a Sunday afternoon, so this was a, a show that I could do and could go. And I remember doing the stage, you know, just working the stage hand. And, uh, and Whalen, you know, kind of recognized me from the from the radio station. Oh like, sure. What are you what you're doing this too? You know, whatever. Oh and sure. Invited me in the in the dressing room with them. You know, and That's a, and, um, and hung out with them for a those while. Those are important moments. I've been able was, to go backstage at some big uh, concerts was, too, and it's a wonderful world to drop in on for a kid my age. You yeah. know, at that time, you know, it oh, was yeah. just a, it was just fun. Yeah, and yeah. you know when he. But also said, makes it then kind of palpable, and it's like, oh, th these are people are talking to me because they're interested in me. Like it's not that yeah. they play guitar good or they play, you know, they do this or that good, but they're still just these people. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Oh, but, Some but, of them are maniacs. Yeah, but and, and he was great. I mean, I, huh. he he said to me, uh, you know, hey, you're you're carrying out my guitar. Come on, you're walking on stage. You're carrying out my guitar. Cool. <laughs> it was a fun. Yeah. It's a great, great experience. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, you're in high school at that point, yeah. doing all that kind of stuff. Did you end up going to college? Yeah, well, I had it. Here's, here's this the University crazy, of Albuquerque. Here's an even crazier right? thing. Yeah, yeah, University of New Mexico. Oh, okay. You went to UNM. So we went, went to UNM, yeah. uh, had a scholarship to go to UNM, and, and the, that, that summer, 
I had sent tapes out to all the black radio stations because I really wanted to work in black so t- radio. I mean, you know, it's 2020. Tell me what the big distinction was between black radio and, say, regular radio. Well, it was very, or very distinct. was it distinct. called white radio? Yeah, you know what really, I mean? No, it was very distinct. You had pop radio. You know, you had the popular stations and uh-huh. pops playing top 40 music. But top 40 music, it was so segregated at that point that you really got only a few, you know, some Motown stuff or some, you know, some some really crossover stuff. But, you know, serious black radio was just like serious country radio. It was country. It, yeah. You know, that wasn't all crossover like it is now. Everything's kind of sure. crossed over. I remember Which is that. wonderful, you know. Yeah. That, but it was solid. So for me... I wanted to play and I wanted to be a part of black radio. So I sent all these resumes and the demo tapes to the top. Uh, I sent probably 50 demo tapes out or something. I don't know. And so before, what would those demo tapes college. contain? Like you're just like a radio on format? Yeah. On straight air. up. Here's an example of what yeah, I do yeah. and, and, and what I and, play. And, and they're cut so that you, you only have the voiceovers. So they're oh, cut I so see. that they... That's kind of what I meant. Yeah, if you were playing all, you know, just giving them like an hour of your radio show, but you're actually just cutting kind of your, yeah, your so content every, to really show them what yeah, you do. Yeah, everything is, your, everything is your content for yeah. that. For, you know, and were you doing that on those like old uh, real, real, real tapes? Real, yeah. I, real I did that at, K, at KUNM too. Real to real. All the uh, commercial yeah. little things and like yeah. uh, the FCC things. Yep. We, we would record that on real to real. And the PSA. Learn how to tape it and stuff. It was right. a very precise little cutter. Right. You cut oh, and splice. It was so fun. It was all hands cut on. Cut and splice, yeah. But then to hear it on air, you know, it was really satisfying. Early editing. Early yeah, by, editing. by the way, when I, when I was go, moving forward in New York, York. I mean, that's the way they were editing in New York. That that was that was the early remixes and edits were done yeah. just like that. How did you end up in New York? Well, that's a, so. I sent all these these tapes out, never got a response, and then right again, right about a month before uh, college, I sent out another batch to the top ten stations in the sure. country. Didn't get a response, and then like a, I don't know, maybe. A week before college, something like that. I think it was a week, maybe two weeks before. I got a call from Frankie Crocker in New York, a big DJ, big radio uh, uh, program director in New York at that time with BLS. What year was that? That was in 70, 77. Okay. 78. Uh-huh. And, 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 he, and he said, uh, well, we, I'm going to need you here on Monday. And I said, well, I'm... I'm, uh, I'm uh, I'm white, you know, yeah. <laughs> and he said, "I don't give, a, I don't give a fuck what color right. you are." Good, you get, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you know, we all want to hear that. Money. Like, you know, to me, like Americans, I was raised to to abhor racism. Yeah, you know what I mean, and it's just one but of those you know, things. But again, like you know, you're you know the like how the society works. And you got to be upfront about it. Like, right. hey, I really want to work in black radio, but you can need yeah. to know. Like, I- I'll do this, but well, yeah, yeah. I wanted him to. I did the last thing I That's wanted so cool. because a lot of people at that point. I mean, in that my my whole direction, I sounded very, uh, very black on mm. you know on air. Sure, you know, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it was well, and you were able to jump at that opportunity too. I, I mean, did. You know, I know my dad so was, many. 
right? So many people who have excelled in life, they were given those opportunities where it's like, okay, you can do this, but you got to travel across the country and you got to do it like in two days. And a lot of people are just going to be like, oh, that's impossible. And there's other people that are like, I have to do this. Well, I have to do this. You know, and my father was so upset because I wasn't going to go to school. You know, and that's all he wanted sure. was because he hadn't finished college. Though he, no, all he wanted my parents to had the same concern when I left college early with a scholarship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did. You know, I did end up going and finishing school. You know, and I went, mm. went to New York. I was able to to uh, to yeah. It's you know, I worked my tail off. That's cool. So but, yeah, tell me about your experience there. Those early years in New so, York. So so New York, you know, radio, which was incredibly hectic, all ratings and everything else. You know, it was a, it was a, a definitely an eye opener, and I was working, uh, I was working crazy. You know, was able to get a room with the Je- Jeffrey Troy was a, uh, was nice enough to to get me set up, and and you know, uh, and so I spent time at. Uh, 220 Central Park South was where I lived, which was, you know, and, and then and, and commuted to Woodside, Queens. So the commute was from Queens to New York, but I was going from New York to Queens. Okay. It's a total backwards Using thing. the subway? Yeah, yeah of course. How long of a ride was yeah. that for you? That wasn't that long, you know. 20 minutes? 20, 20, 25 yeah. minutes. What was know. Central Park like back then? I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, let me tell you, this was this Central Park was fine, but it it was rough, and I tell you, you couldn't that's go. That's the thing. I you couldn't pass half of Central Park. I mean, people are talking about that now that New York could collapse into what it used to be, no, you know. It's but it's possible. like that's still pretty far. Like it used yeah. to be really gnarly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you yeah. can attest to that. Oh yeah, you couldn't walk Alphabet City. I mean, come on, man. I mean, it, it, it was, you know, it, you uh, Harlem. Mugged. Harlem was an open drug market. You yeah. know, I mean, it was, it was nasty. Yeah. It was. It could be nasty, but in a way, that's, that, that's where though. the creativity came. Well, and that's then there are really nice parts too. You know, it's like yeah, where, super fancy. Where you know, I mean, the Bronx was was like a a blown out. Um, you know, it was like a. You know Beirut after a war. I mean, it was pretty, sure. pretty, pretty. Uh, I've seen photos. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it definitely looks like a war zone. Yeah, like Lower yeah. East Side, definitely. I think those are the more the pictures. And you I've know, seen. at one point I lived at, uh, you know, uh, um, well, this this is even before moving to New York because I had visited New York. I was lucky enough to to attend a, a summer camp in New York. I had a scholarship to Camp Rising Sun, which was a wonderful organization and. Huh. You know, and I was one of 30 boys from the United States chosen, and this was when I was 14. So from Del Norte, you know, I was able to go to summer camp there. And then uh, and then I went back um, the following year. So that, those were my first experiences with New York um, and being alone in, in New York for for a few days and then you know going upstate to new to, to so so I, I was aware of new york and i yeah. i've been there you know mm-hmm. even though my family had never traveled and i you know and i was the the one who had gone but you know i was i was i looked old from you know at, at 14 i looked 18 oh, okay. and at 16 i looked 20 yeah. you know so i it was i could pull it off and, sure. and you know and um so I guess that's, you know, I, I was familiar with what it was going to be like. And when I was in the, at one point at 120, 161st in, in Prospect, 
in New York, you know, all you heard were sirens. So I would go to sleep <laughs> with the window open, and it would just be one constant. constant. Yeah, it'd just, just be the shit going the, down. The, the yeah, yeah, nonstop. Wow. It did not stop. But then you know, during the day, during the day, I you know, were you at the radio station and oh yeah, away yeah, yeah, and, just, and then uh, editing then, and just hustling, learning yeah. that whole trade. Oh yeah, I was working really hard, and then uh, you know, trying to get to school, taking school, you know, going going to school as well, and then it, as well. Um, I mean, that's when uh, Jeffrey Troy, you know, he, he, he would tease me. He would say, you know, I, I know you like to do the wiki wiki. And, and, and oh, you know, like teasing the hip-hop style DJ. Teasing me about playing. Sure, all of and, that. And he knew that I was interested in mixing records because I was in the, you know, I had had a mobile disco unit uh, growing up well, as well. Because that's a bit, another big distinction. You were, If you're playing radio, you're playing single tracks, and then you're talking in between, and you're playing the next track. Okay. But the whole idea of starting to blend two records was, over each other and create a new thing. Like, when did that kind of well, that was that was for you, well, yeah, or where I'll tell did you, you start that? That, that was that was my experience in New York because what what I what I learned in New York was um, you know I was invited to some of these clubs and you know Larry Levon uh, at Paradise Garage you know going to see Larry Levon play. Uh, was as eye-opening as I you have some sit. CDs of his live mixes yeah. from Paradise Garage. It's just yeah. absolutely crazy because that's where you know Jeffrey Troy was a member. You had to be a member, and so he would he would just say, "Hey, go, go use my car. Go go." He never would go. He'd always you know send me off to, yeah. to and and I was able to to go and enjoy when I could because I was so busy, but. Uh, to hear Larry Levon in that setting uh, was incredible, you know, and that's what changed, you it changed of, uh, my life. Paint a picture of that setting. I mean, what year was this? Um, it's in late seventies. Late seventies. You know, yeah, yeah. So you Paradise got, Garage was it like an industrial spot or was it like a built-out club? Uh, this is a King Street. This was a this was a parking garage. This was an old a parking, parking garage. garage that was converted into a club. It was a non-alcoholic. That's club. That's why I say because the clubs used to be in the craziest places. Yeah. So this was a this. I mean, so it was really a garage. I didn't know that. Garage. It was a garage. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. But it was. Was the up. acoustics interesting then because it well, was a garage? Yeah, the acoustics were the best in the world. Dude. That's what I, I would mean, think. You, you no, no, no. It, it, it wasn't because it was a garage. But they just they the sound adapted. System. Yeah, they the, adapted it to be, and this was a, a Richard Long sound system. Well, I got. think that's another factor that people need to understand is that going into a club or like a rave from my era, like the physical force of the sound is a phenomenon of its right, own. Right, right. And to be in this this space of sound and this meant for that is a whole interesting experience that I don't think if you haven't done that you just have no idea and you don't really understand say like dance music in a way because you've never felt it in right. your bones right. well and that's that's the what well, you know here I was playing it you know but when you experience in that environment and when I tell you about this environment it's an environment in which and you you mentioned feeling the sound but the paradise garage 
was a place where we could have a conversation in the middle of the dance floor, huh. just like we are having right now. Crazy. We would not, not not the rave scene, not where you yell at each other. Oh, and sure, we had sound. to scream at each other you in a rave. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not good sound. Yeah. What good sound is, uh, is, is to have a conversation and yet feel your stomach, your, your, your chest move <laughs> yeah. with, the ba- with music yeah. because that's how powerful that, that and, and it was, you know, and, and they're going to the loft to see uh, um, David Mancuso play, which was another club at that time that was influential to me because that was a, a spiritual side of it. You know, he used to have these well, parties yeah, I mean, at the well, loft. Were they playing? This is late seventies, and it's like I can. Yeah, but you know, you you would hear, and, and I mean, this was I all. Imagine it would be a really scene. interesting eclectic mix of different things it, it, it that very would much maybe was. create a real vibe that was very different. I feel like so much music is made for DJs now. But that was a time before that. And DJs oh, you were had like to be really making these you, yeah. creative leaps yeah, that I to love to do creative. in my own mixing. Very going. creative. But you know, here's you here's know. the thing about Larry Levon. You know, he, he had his crowd there. You know, these were a lot of Latin and a lot of black kids who... Uh, who were devoted to that club, and you know, and then you had the me- membership, you know. So you had, and you, and here's the part that I'm, I'm letting. Let, you know, this is a time when Broadway was was going full guns too. So you have all the Broadway dancers. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you, in in the in the. Oh, so like the broad the Broadway dancers would recreationally dance at the club. Absolutely. Holy so shit, so what you get? <laughs> so what you got? What you got there was, you had. This group coming in because at, at at midnight after they're all through with the the two shows on Broadway, they're headed to the Paradise Garage, and then you go into to the space, and there is a the the men's room. I will never forget because the men's room looked like a locker room. It was it was a, a it's men's like a room. Gay fantasy. Well, no, like a it, locker it, room. You know it, what I mean? Like, but yeah, yeah, yeah but, but it what it awesome. wasn't it wasn't really that. Yeah, it was a serious it was place. Just happened. Yeah, it was just... the serious place that they took their shit yeah. and locked it up. Oh, that's wow! So... Because they changed, yeah. and then you know they got the 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 baby powder and on the wood floor. Oh, you, know, you brought that up. I was wondering if you were gonna because I remember serious, these. Yeah. I was a regular at a Body and Soul on yeah, Sundays yeah. Well, and they would from, they, they would bust from, out the baby powder and they would you, slide across if the floor you went, if you oh went to Body God. and Soul if you were at Body and Soul with with uh, uh, with Joe Classell and yeah. with with uh, Francois K yeah. and with Danny Krevet yes, then you yes. absolutely know the feeling of the Paradise Garage because oh, that I didn't is, know that that is what they were doing that, that's the whole concept oh of, it was such a different yeah. vibe I, I talk about Body and Soul all the time to people because they 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 were <sighs> It was like this conversation with the crowd where some DJs would come up with a set and just look at their uh, machines and never look at the crowd. They would kind of know at Body and Soul when we were getting tired and hot and they would put on the sound of a, a, a rainstorm with thunder and lightning Interesting. and bring it right down. Yeah. And I remember it would cool the fucking room down. It wow. felt like it would. And then wow. slowly but surely they'd bring in some like African or Cuban drum rhythm. Yeah, and then 
vroom, 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 that house, that, that bass, you know, and yeah. just, it, it would get going again, everybody look at each other, like feeling refreshed, smiling, you know, yeah. and like, here we go again. Yeah. Yeah. I was such yeah, yeah, a great, yeah. and it was in the afternoon. I'd get yeah. out of there and it was early, like nine o'clock at yeah. night. That was such a, I, I'm glad you say that because I always wondered about Paradise Garage and, yeah, and Pure Body Love. and Soul. I always thought was so amazing. Well, there were there's a couple of things of Paradise Garage um, that I. But one of the things I remember is I, I remember that if um, he had such control over the crowd, Larry had such control over the crowd. And when you talk about being eclectic, he could play. Um, he might dig out a Pat Benatar song. You know, which is See, not something that would go, not yeah. something that would be a, a, a you know, your, your first guess of being a, a hit at Paradise Garage. But what, what he had the ability to do, the way he had ability to pick music, is he would put it on. And, you know, people would leave the dance floor. It would be like an instant, you know, people... You see, you put sure. on something new and fresh. And, you know, yeah. first time people heard it, they're like, ah, what's this, what's this? And they, they move around the crowd. But, you know, somebody who's... You probably know of him, Danny Tanagli, would tell me the story. Yes. Danny would tell me the story that, man, we would be at the Paradise Garage, and he'd put on something... He'd put on a rock tune, he'd put on, he'd put on Bat, Pat, Pat Benatar, whatever, and we'd leave the floor, go... And, and we knew that if we didn't get back on the floor, he'd let that record go to the very end, to the click, click, click of the end of that yeah. thing, and then he'd put it right back on. Because that's the way he was. Larry was like, you Interesting. know, he'd like, you little bitches, you don't get this? Here, you're well, going to hear it again. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the expert talking. Like, yo, well, you're not feeling this? Then that's on your, your loss. Yeah, that's but I'm going to pound this down your throat until you feel this, because this is good. Yeah, and by the way, huh. in two weeks, that's cool. in two weeks, that would be the biggest record on the, in, the, in the club. Oh, that's funny. I mean, because it, I mean, he just knew the power of... And, sure. and Danny would say it was the craziest thing, because every single time he, he did that, it became... A monster hit at the at the garage, you huh. know, That's and no cool. one, yeah, you know. So did you end up starting did DJing in clubs and stuff? Yeah, too? I did. Yeah, Jim Burgess yeah. Uh, was the one who who kind of helped so me. So how out. about your approach to building sets and whatnot? You're just kind of taking their lead and working from your knowledge of music and being like, well, how would I build a groove? Like, yeah, or, to... or had you know there really been music you know, catered to DJ started to come around yet you know I think I think um, for me it was the, much about the technical end of it you know it was much about playing records in in key on beat um, you know but trying to build and, that try, was and trying to, to you. and trying to layer you know one thing that I was really influenced years later was by uh, you know Yeno San Francisco I mean, you know, oh, and, yeah. and, and those still, guys, I, uh, the, wicked, the wicked guys. I went to those parties, man. Yeah, I remember, you, you know, know. You know, you know when, when you Garth. got, yeah, yeah Garth yeah. and, you know, yeah, yeah, and of yeah. course, and, and, you know, I've played with them many times, yeah. but uh, I, I can tell you those those parties in which which they could build on a groove solidly. And, you know, there's a guy in, in New York, he doesn't get much, you know, much notoriety, but Angel Mareas, who mm. was just a master of, 
you know, you, you take you take one song and you layer it and here's another song and then here comes another, you know, and And really and you, seamless. Is that kind of the technical Yeah, well that was that about, was me. Or? That was that was really what I strive to do, you know. I that love was that what too. I was that was what I was into. And you know, a lot of people find that boring. A lot of people will say, Dude, you when are you gonna change the record? You know, it it was like that. And and I that was a compliment to me. Come on up, tell me. Tell me to I, change it I again. I agree. <laughs> With my kind of more eclectic vinyl mixes, I like it to appear as if it's one, one, one track. Almost. Yeah, because it's, it's just, just this fluid thing, and it's just this emotional ride. You know, and, and, and you know, I'd laugh because it'd just be like, well, you're obviously not paying attention, not paying yeah. close enough attention. Sure. You know, and sure. that was to me, that was my, but you know, I, it was a point where. I don't know. I don't. I don't. You know. Maybe for your for your art, you can feel the same way. But there's a point in which you don't really do it for our fans. You don't really. You're not there for. I, I'm. I'm not. I, I'm. I'd love to. I love the. the I, I love, understand that. Completely, I love yeah. to see. I love to see the the. Um, I, I, I love to see the expression. I love to 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 get that feeling of of people feeling good and together which is the whole reason I do it really is I mean you want you want to bring people together and you want people to experience something yeah. so I, I that part is is always there yeah but there is there comes a point where where I'm not interested in the hits I'm only interested in what moves me and what I feel will move but if it doesn't move me it's not it, I can't make it move a crowd I think, Even, I think exactly, yeah, I think that's a huge point that people need to hear, there right? Are, there you, are, you've got to, it's got to be this thing that comes from you. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and you're so dedicated to it. I think that's what people respond to is how into it you are. And, you know, people, you know? people to this day, you know, sometimes they'll see me out and they'll say, you're still doing that? You know, you're still doing that? It's like... Yeah, what else am I gonna do? It's still fun. I mean, yeah, this is this is yeah. this is my life. This is what I feel. Yeah, you know, how can you give that up? You know, right? You no, stop? I still like to practice DJing like at least an hour every day in my studio, yeah. and it just is that part of the day where I just feel good. And, just, and if, you know, it's so satisfying. And and, and you like. For instance, you are you going to stop drawing if your art doesn't sell? If some people of stop buying, not. <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't do this. I didn't get into it for a living. I got into it for the love of it. Yeah. So right. I left radio because I found this to be much more challenging. You're right. Yeah. Were you able to earn money uh, DJing in clubs yeah, I, and stuff? I earned money all my life. Well, then I, yeah, long story, I mean, I, I handle clubs for Marriott, you know, talk about going to the corporate world and doing doing that wow. stuff. Wow, okay. But, yeah, I, I mean, you know, and then, then you get to, the, to where you want to do and be creative. I've always wanted to be creative, so that's where you met me. You know, I had I had cafes. So when I moved back and started uh, espresso bars, when did you I move back from New York? Well, I was back in the eighties, um, I guess mid eighties or so. Oh, okay. Back in 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 Albuquerque, uh -huh. and finished a finance degree at the university, and then oh, cool. you know, and then started the the espresso bars. But I was still traveling. At that point, yeah, I, I remember you were really, traveling a lot. I had really good gigs in Europe. You know, That's I was what part I of the, too. I was part of the circuit, and you I had, tell me about places you played in like Germany and stuff. Yeah, I was I had, just like blown away. I had amazing, yeah. you know. 
But that was, that was not the lifestyle of the DJ now. Now you've got the superstar DJs. We were just working DJs. We worked eight hours and you know, yeah. we didn't work an hour and a half and you know and stay. Oh, up. you guys played long sets. Yeah, we played. We played the you night. You played. Yeah, we yeah. played. It wasn't. It was. I wasn't. guess I remember that too. Yeah, it was. An, and you know the raves back then. You know there were two DJs. You know, and the most you'd have two or three DJs. Not early, it wasn't. especially yeah. early on. Yeah. yeah, I mean they didn't. Uh, like even my first experiences with the rave thing in London in 1990, wow. it was still really underground and seedy. Yeah. Uh, but so fun. Yeah. It was like the next punk thing to me. It was like yeah, a similar well, kind of kids that made punk it music right. had drum machines and made electronic music. It was, right. And it had this like aggressiveness to it. Some of it, a lot of that early acid house, especially, was just right. like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah, you know. But again, I got to experience it by feeling it coming out into Clapham Junction in London, and the bass right. was incredible. Like coming out of every store, it was just techno and house. Right, you know, it was booming. And then in '94, it was jungle. You yeah. know, yeah, it was, yeah. it's, it's wild time. how all that happens. Yeah. So yeah, so what was going on in Albuquerque then? Those kind of mid-80s. Well, it, it was weird because I, I really wasn't planning on even playing here. I mean, it was a, it was a, one of those things where, you know, I was lucky to get gigs here at Beyond Ordinary once in a while because it was more of a rock thing, but then every once in a while they'd say, oh, let, you know, do a Sunday, do something interesting on a, on a, so, you know, we could pack it on a Sunday night here. Uh, yeah, I you know, remember. Those were the kind of deals. Well, I, yeah, I remember those years as, you know, there were certain people that were getting hip to it. Like, I came back from that trip to London in 1990 with tons of mixtapes. And that's what got me onto KUNM. I called them and said, hey, uh, I have all these tapes. You guys play house music. And they invited me up immediately. Yeah. And I dubbed all the tapes I had. And it just, uh, I think people just knew I had them. And knew I'd been nice. to London and had firsthand knowledge of what was happening there. That's cool. Which was really hard to get. It really mm -hmm. had to be firsthand knowledge. Right. Um, so I got invited to all the stuff. There was a little club on uh, Lomas when I was in my first or second year of UNM and it was uh, Toke and Nona and sometimes I would be the only one there where I would <laughs> grab friends from the, the, mm -hmm. the dorms and just be like hey come listen come, like let's, let's go this. dancing I'll pay for you guys don't worry about it wow. but it was so fledgling yeah but eventually it got to be a big deal and it was really yeah. one of the funnest times of my life yeah you know and a little dangerous you know, but yeah, but but still in the eighties, were you doing? Oh, were you playing industrial music at all? Did you ever do that? Oh, yeah, because yeah. that I was mean, a big part of nightlife. I yeah, feel like I in mean, those years. Yeah, I wasn't really. Uh, uh, but you know, front two four two. You know, uh, I mean, exactly. It, it just, we were all listening to yeah, that stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah, and you know, I will. I mean, Depeche Mode and all that stuff. Yeah, there was always that was part, part of the Albuquerque that. scene. Right. Yeah. That, that like industrial alternative scene was right, pretty right. big here. Yeah, and I, I, I know that out of that, 
is really when I came back into playing here, you know, and doing and doing raves and be be involved in in that scene. Sure. You know, and doing the warehouse. That parties. must have been exciting to see the rave thing develop, and that you're still like, you know, relevant and a big player, you know, and like, you know, can go right into that world. You know? Well, yeah, but but that was all from mixing. To me, it was nothing different than mixing in in clubs full full yeah. on. You know, right. so it was easy to. To, to do that and to move into the into the rave aspect of things and yeah. I saw it as the creativeness of, of uh, you know it wasn't the structure of a big club it was really it was free anarchy it was <laughs> so many times I mean was, I mean even here in Albuquerque there were so many break-in raves yeah you know yeah, yeah, just yeah. totally illegal yeah. Um, yeah. Dangerous, one right. entry, one you know, fire hazards. Right. I remember right. dancing in cold warehouses where you could see yeah. your breath. It was so cold, just in jackets, but still you're raving, you're having it. a great yeah. time, yeah. you know. Well, we we did all that. That's for sure. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah, it got really crazy. I remember though that when you would play, it was this like. I mean, it's like young people are just going to kind of play the, the music that's uh, around them right then, whereas an older person is going to pull from different eras and different stuff and pull together what I consider more of a rich set. Well, you for know, me, you always did that. You always well, I, had this I appreciate that because personal groove that we really were feeling. The reason why I think... Um, I mean, being being brought up in real music and soul, and funk, and and just a you know a serious bass line and and I just you know the difference between real music and and somebody in their bedroom you know just just playing around. That's such a big point to make. And and to yeah. me that was where that was my strength. And it, to me, I think it still is in the sense that, I mean, I can still bring to the table. A great deal of history and and bring back those sounds. Someone told me the other day they they listened to a stream and they said, um, and they said, oh, you played a bunch of classics. Well, the truth was, I didn't play any classics. I only played samples from some of those classics. Mm. But everything I played was brand new. Everything I played was from the last two months. Oh, that's interesting because so, there. Yeah, I've noticed that too. There is this fondness for that, like early '90s, late '80s kind of sound. You know, yeah, and, and, and it's, uh, yeah, the kids are really into it again. To me, I love I love that, but but I'm only about new music. You know, yeah. I mean, but I know I love classic samples. I mean, if there's a, a classic if house sample, knows the, you, know, you know, I'm, I'm well, all about that. That's a funny thing. When did you get housemusic.com? Well, that was in 96. Oh, okay, so it was all, yeah, all the way yeah. into 96. Yeah, but I, I but always the, joke because it was just like, that's like classicalmusic.com. Like how early well, did you have to be you, on the I'll internet tell, to get it? Yeah, you know? let, me, let me tell you the story about that. Because... When I got house music, there, there were some friends of mine who were involved in selling stock. Okay. And they were brokers here. And uh, I, I had gone and and I, and I had gone to like Southwest Cyberport or something, one of these early internet developers, and, and I said, you know, I need an email address. And they said, well, you know, you can do AOL or whatever, you know. And I said, well, you know, is there something I can do creative, you know? Or you know, and they said, well, you could do something like you could get a you could get a, a domain, 
and then your email address could be so you could be something at. You know, I said, oh, uh, okay, well, I thought about it, and I was like, well, how about house music? So that was how it, it wasn't because I knew anything about the domain or trying to get the domain, it was because I simply wanted my email address to be at housemusic.com. Simple as that. So they said, yeah. Why was that? I mean, I I know you're kind of really into house music, but I mean. Who who knows? So so anyway, so so they sold me, you know, $60 later or something, you know. Yeah, was that cheap back then? Yeah. So sixty dollars later, I've, yeah. I've got this email address, right? And so, yeah. so that was my point. So, yeah. I came home, and and one of my friends was like, you know, I to, I told him one of these broker guys, yeah. and he goes, yeah, I should I should probably do that. He goes, what do you think would be a good name? What do you think would be a good name for me? You know, and I said, do WallStreet.com. So he went the next day. <laughs> yeah. That's where this story is going. Dude. Oh so so they, here these guys struggling to sell stocks. They, yeah. they, they put together, the two of them, put together the money to buy their domain yeah. at wallstreet.com. Yeah. Now, years later, there's an internet bubble. And years later, this, wall, this, this uh, internet uh, site... Yeah. They sell this internet site for over a million dollars. Yeah. No, that's the thing. That's why, like, I we were hearing about that in San Francisco early on, too. And, and People I'm, were just like, oh, no, just buy, like, all the kind of corporate things that you think. Like, buy KentuckyFriedChicken.com right now because they're going to come buy They're going to come knocking to buy that because you legally yeah. own it. And, and they can't do anything about it if I you don't remember. sell it to them. Yeah, I remember, and I just was like, I don't have the time or, or yeah, effort to start to do. selling domain yeah. names, man. I, I draw, like, come on. So, so that so is a business, though. That is so. I never even got a steak dinner out of that. I never even got taken to dinner out of that. <laughs> that's they funny, did that. Though. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. And I and here I'm with housemusic.com, and, and still not really developed, which is so sad. I feel so badly. That's so. That's that, funny that it 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 needs yeah. to have its right place, and it needs to have some history. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe through this interview, somebody That'd will be reach good. out. Somebody would. Yeah. It's some, funny some like that. Brilliant tech will will know the print and know that's the appreciate. thing. It might be even just a. Uh, it could be something where you just uh, are a hub for right. all yeah. these other wonderful. Yeah. Because um, look at what's got. Look at what's what's grown from the roots of house. You talk about jungle. You talk about um, uh, gabber or whatever. I mean, whatever. Oh, sure. It a drum and bass. You know, yeah. it goes on and on. It's yeah. all from the roots of house. Yeah. Everything. You know, the well, evolution of this this genre. Yeah. EDM is right. Well, the thing too, you know, for me, there's a lot of corny ass house music, and I, I can understand why some people are kind of hate on it. it. Even like the house remixes you might hear on the radio or something, usually right. they're terrible. Right. But there is like, you know, I love what we kind of classically call deep house, and right. it has this emotional quality to it um, that I really connect with on the dance floor. You know, it's, it's pretty much my favorite uh, style of electronic music to dance to. Right. It's almost like ecstatic. And you can, and it's this really prolonged groove. And also I kind of experienced it too at the big gay clubs in San Francisco, yeah. like on Sundays, even like Body and Soul. And right. it's like, I had a friend explain to me that growing up, 
gay, they weren't um, accepted in the churches, so they had to congregate and do their own thing on Sundays. And the, the like tea dance kind yeah, of tradition yeah, right. is really just their, their way of getting together and, and, and having church and, exp- and giving praise to God. And, right. you know, it's, it, you know, that's the gospel connection with vocals and house music to me is right. like it's church, you know, but it's, it's their church. Yeah. And I've experienced that and I've experienced that like religious connection to dancing with a, you know, at a communal rhythm. That's with exactly, a group of people, yeah, yeah. right? And that's what I've always found that to bring people together. So of all walks of life, I mean, I love a uh, rave when you see, you know, at the end of a rave and you see those people have been dancing together for eight and 12 hours, 16 yeah. hours, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, you they look around and they've all gone through this magical journey together, Yeah, you know, and there's yeah. that, there's that bond that you cannot build any other way. You know, I feel like it's such an, uh, an ancient thing too. To oh, get yeah. together, yeah. bang on some cool. drums, and right. kind of become yeah. egoless right. and, and right. just wild out. And even, you know, as a, a prelude to sex and stuff, like get, right. get it, it's, get it, get the get the, the thing bubbling. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, um, yeah. I, it has I, a magic trance. It's, it's our modern way of, of yeah, there, dealing with it. There's that, there's that tribal trance effect that yeah. that uh just being in rhythm in that same constant rhythm for such a long period of yeah. time has yeah i had a friend that lived in uh africa he was in the peace corps right. and he would just in the middle of the night off in the distance start to hear boom 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 right mm-hmm. and just be like huh what's up and then you'd start to hear the villagers getting up and getting dressed off. And creeping out to hear where the drums were, and as you get closer Following. to the drums, it's like boom, 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 louder and louder and louder. And you get there, and everybody's in a trance, dancing around, right. and it's just this. The music itself is the magnet that brings everybody there, you know. Right. And they've been doing that forever, you yeah. know. And it's just yeah. like he told me that story, and I was like, "Never go to a rave," and he was like, "Not really." And I was like, "Man, that's, it was just like that." That's what it <laughs> you, is. You know, even like those. Uh, Outdoor raves in uh, in the East Mountains and stuff. That's right. Almost. Right, like you'd be driving on those dirt roads. Like I don't think we're in the right place. And you're looking at the and map there, on there the it is. You back hear of that the flyer. Boom. Like no, I think we're good. And there's some other people it. behind us. And you'd get there and you'd park where they said to, and you'd still be like, I don't know. And then you'd hear, oh, it must be over there. And you'd start to see the kids creeping out of the woods, you know, yeah. all to that thing. And you'd get there and it would look like a UFO in the woods. That's right. There's some lights in the right. DJ, no other lights anywhere else. Yeah. Oh, those were some of the funnest ones. That's it. Right? That's yeah. It. God, that was such an amazing time. So, yeah, like, tell me about. Um, were you still, were you traveling, say, again, DJing during those years, too? Like, let's say we're in like well, the late I, 80s, early 80s, 90s. 80s, 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah up, until, uh, up until 9-11, I guess, where, where things kind of stopped for me, you know. I huh. wasn't doing as much after 9-11. I don't know why. It was, was that like a It, it really changed. I think it was the fact that you know, it was like we couldn't fly to Europe for a while and the European DJs uh, just got, um, you know, it just was like, ah, we don't need the, we don't need the, the U.S. DJs anymore. They were so strong 
at that time it was yeah. one of those things Same then thing it, in my field and then it became this sure. sort of popularity thing you know you had to have so many followers and so much you know and 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 so many you know producing was such a big thing and i was never really a producer i never saw myself as a legitimate um um musician mm. you know and i always felt that producers that weren't serious musicians were not really producers i don't know i had a really weird thing about that that's not so true anymore but uh but no. i think that's just it. There's so many people that, yeah, just get handy with the apps and yeah, the editing right. tools and right. just can create some amazing things Stuff, and right. have really zero yeah. ability to write down or read sheet music or but for, understand tone. But for me, to scale. this to this day, the ones that I really fought by, you know, I just, just go head over turn out to be really strong musicians <laughs> i don't know why sure this is my the stuff yeah. i like is is very musical in nature you know so yeah. I'm, I'm a real i'm a real fan of the of the and the collaboration between really mu real musicians on these pieces is is pretty amazing you know that yeah and there's and it's so strong today i, I know even now during covid you know the fact that people are being so creative and so much beautiful it kind of forced the issue you got all this That's free time right. people were like well yeah. i always did want to like learn how to make beats yeah or you know all, all this different kind of stuff even yeah. myself of i don't know it hasn't affected my life so much because i was like an isolationist work monster anyway yeah you know what i mean but um Along with, let's well, say, the club scene, you were you had friends in the art world, and that's yeah, always been part well, of your you thing. Know, I, I knew. So how did that start? Well, I, I, I kind of, you know, I was playing in clubs, and and, uh, you know, I was I was uh, kind of an understudy to Jim Burgess in New York, a DJ in New York, and I would play. And John Michel used to come by. John Michel uh, Basquiat, Basquiat the used to come by. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And you know, he liked my music. Yeah, no, so just we, like the became, kind of the vibe and the mix of we, stuff we, you were yeah, you yeah. feeling so, it. So we became we became uh, uh, friends. Uh, Keith Herring, you know, at How that old? time. Were so you guys Francis, around the same age? We were the exact same. You age. and Jean Michel were exactly, exactly the same age. Exact huh. same age. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see you guys would be bros. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, you know, I hung out with him as much as I could, you know, yeah. but uh, his life you know, was hectic. Was, yeah, you know, so so there's where, you know, he introduced me to to um, to a world uh, that I did, you know, it was all new to me, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I always, I didn't even know he was an artist really. That's awesome. Beginning, you know, we did. So cool. I had no idea. I mean, he you was just you know just vibe with the dude. I think that's yeah, great. That's was, a great way to build a was, friendship, was, especially with somebody like him, where everybody probably knew who he was and was up his ass, and you're just like this DJ guy, and it's just like yeah, we're your friends. Was, and you know, he wanted some mixes. He wanted some mixes, and so I would I would sell mixes. You know, you'd always sell cassettes to to make money. So yeah. so I'd always have cassettes down. So well, he played that stuff when he was like painting and stuff. What was he asking yeah, for those? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so he had a, a I nice. I would ask for the same. You know, exactly. Elder, there you go. Give me a mix, me, bro, for yeah, the studio. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, then that's kind of what what uh, what happened. But I can remember going. I think it was Mary Boone Gallery. I I don't know, but when he invited me to a show, and. Uh, you know, to see that, uh, 
his work was so potent, so incredibly potent. And then I, I can remember one time he told me that he said, yeah, he said, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to be right next to Picasso. It's like, I know I'm going to be right next to Picasso. And I mean, yeah. when, he to, when he told me that, you know, as a kid, you're like, man, you... Bro, you, go for it, you know, but chill. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Man. You know, I mean, that's what you're thinking. Well, you know, sure, it's like, you, it's you, not the same. It's hard to hear but, people but thinking when you that go, big when, if you're a when, humble person. When, you know? when I went to Mary Boone and saw his work the first time, I was so, I was just blown away because I was a kid from New Mexico. I had come to New York. And, you know, when you're in, in New York at that time, the first thing you hear is a screeching noise of the subway, you know, you know, this train stopping, and you're just like, that noise is so powerful and so out there. And, you know, everybody's running around, and you got Fifth Avenue on a Friday night, and the subways, and people are moving in all directions. And, and, the, the violence of New York, you know, you, you couldn't really walk Times Square. Times Square was kind of seedy, you know, the, the alphabet city, you yeah, forget it. And, you know, it was this a, a time in New York and his art and it, seeing that in that show was like, this is New York. This is um, everything. See, this is, I, I knew you'd have was, like that personal <laughs> perspective on his work in a different way because you were friends and to hear like for you personally that his work was really showing the emotion and the 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 life of that time visually that that puts it, his work in a different context for me and heartbreak you know, that's cool and it was a lot of heartbreak you of, know people of people see he that. suffered yeah, yeah you could he, tell you know he was full of suffering well as he he missed his mom you know he, he was, was that a, what it was mostly I don't you think? know I think so he was just I mean, as his friend yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, yeah. his mom was in an institution, and, and it was, oh, she, she, it was, a, it was bad. Yeah. You know, his dad, his dad hated him. Yeah, no, yeah. I understand I mean, that I, from bios. You know, it's, it just was like... It was like really hard to get any approval from his father, even at the height of his, his success. Yeah. His father still thought it was like, oh, you dumb drug addict kid, like, you don't know shit. You know? yeah. But That's to rough. see what's hap <laughs> to see what's happening now with this family and the way they've taken, yeah, I don't know. I'm, it's a big mess. Yeah, it always um, was, I guess. Yeah, yeah I mean, so, I so yeah, I mean, were you able to like get paintings from him? Kind of yeah, casually? I would. I Just, would well, yeah. Jim Jim Burgess. I remember Jim said, you know, he's the one who clued me in and said, you know, hey, you should start trading him for some artwork. I was yeah. like, his artwork? What's his artwork? You know, it was yeah. just one of those things where, where you, you learn. Think, and then, thinking about it. Then yeah. down the road, yeah, I'd, sure. I was able to trade in some pieces. Good. and You know, but, but the saddest part is uh, before he died, I had sent him, uh, I had sent him money for a, for a large piece. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that uh, when, when, when Miller took over his estate and I never, never got the, yeah, it's just really sad because yeah. he had it complete for me and everything else. And I knew... I'd talked to him weeks before he passed away. It's just a that's the art world, though. Yeah, 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 it is. You know, it ended up with Bruno Bischenbacher in Switzerland or something. Of yeah, course, crazy thing. Of course, you know, yeah. But but I don't I don't care. It's sure. Uh, it's well, that's not, the thing. He was your he was your friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Did you ever yeah. run into Warhol during those years at all? Or? Once. 
Yeah. Well, actually twice, but once where once before the for the funniest part is before before I moved to New York and when I went for the the clubs. When I oh, I'm sorry, when I went for the clubs. When I went to uh, to the camp that I told right. you about. Rising Sun. I was a little kid. Yeah. And one of these weekends I was in, I was in New York and I was staying at what's called the Go- what was called the Gotham Hotel 5th and 55th Street. Okay. It's now called the Peninsula. Okay. It's, a, it's okay. unbelievable, beautiful, you know, one of these yeah. five-star hotels. Mm-hmm. At that point, it wasn't so five-star. <laughs> so so uh, I'm staying uh, at the, the Gotham Hotel. I'm this little kid in New York. And, uh, you know, you walk out the street, and uh, there's a bar down downstairs, and the girls are lined up on, uh, out the bar. These are all the working girls in New York. Uh-huh. And so I would, I'd go outside, you know, and, and they'd all say, little, little boy, you want a date? You want a date? Right. It's, it's hilarious <laughs> totally. for me. But, uh, <laughs> but where are you going, little boy? It was just very fun. And I, anyway, I, I said, you know, where's the, where's the good club? Where's the good club? Hi, right down the street, right now, next next block over, Studio Fifty Four. So, as a little kid, I I was uh, I went to those ropes, and uh, you know, and stayed there for what seemed like hours, and then suddenly some woman, some woman and her son. Her son was not very, you know, maybe a few years older than I was, but. Uh, Walked up to the ropes and she looked at me and she said, "How long you been here? How long you been here?" I said, "I, I don't know, an hour or something." And she goes, "I just heard her yell, Steve, Steve, Steve." She, she, you know, had him come over. It was the, it turned out the owner, one of the owners of Studio Fifty Four, and he, you know, he's there. All these people waiting to get in. There must yeah. have been a thousand people. That, was that like the club back then? Yeah, it was. The That's what I understand that there wasn't one that was. But like, anyway, that was the one. You know, she she was the one who got me in. If I wouldn't been, if she, you know, she said, "Come on," she basically, you know, "Come on with us," you know, and we were and we were in, you know, and here I was a little kid. And, How old uh, were you? I was fourteen or fi- I was. <laughs> That's 14, hilarious. Four, You're fourteen. 15 I, I might have been studio fifty-four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you keep in mind though, it That's was awesome. it was a drinking age in New York was eighteen at that point. No, so it was. It's still. Was, it's. I mean. Yeah. So at any age that you right. were at Studio Fifty Four, yeah. and right. I looked a lot older. So like I, you were saying, I was pulling yeah. it off. You know, yeah. it wasn't like I looked like a little kid. But <laughs> that's um, so cool. So. That that was the first time, and I can re- and I'll tell you where when when I met him because she knew him, and and uh, he was wearing, and, and so we're in the upstairs area, and I can remember him wearing a leather, one of these leather holsters. Oh, like a it bolero was, belt, like it was with the, a, the with the bullets, exactly. The bullets. Yeah, That's exactly. hilarious. And it he was, was wearing and, one. Of it the was club. brown. It was brown, and he was wearing one of these, yeah. but it was crisscross. Yeah, it was not one side; it was okay. two. It yeah, was yeah, two yeah. sides. Okay, but there was no bullets. Yeah, it was, 
it was square holders for the square flash cubes that were on these Polaroid. Oh, right, the old uh, cameras. I used to use the square flash so, cubes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I remember. He had, he had, oh, so he had a lot. Because he, he was shooting clubs at night, probably, right, so he had to have shitloads of them. You only had four shots per cube, it right? It would twist after each shot. Each shot, it twist. It would four flash, flashes. and then it was useless. Yeah. And then you had to throw it away, basically. It was terribly wasteful. Right. So, so... <laughs> He had a... That's funny. It was hilarious. He was ready to take some and, pictures. And so I had no idea. But yeah, I can <laughs> remember him guy. doing that and him taking a picture. I got to take your picture. Yeah. And he he took... You that, was his, that was and, his and, line, too. It was like, I, I got to take your picture. And, and so here's the reason why I know it was him. <laughs> yeah. Because that long ago, I mean, I didn't real, realize it until, you know, four years later. Oh, yeah. Five years later. Sure. But... It was the craziest thing because I thought she said, she, she most likely said he's an artist, but I thought she said a photographer. Okay. And I was inside my head, I'm laughing because I'm like, oh, he, if he was a real photographer, he would have had a Nikon camera, you know, yeah, because yeah. that was would my, have got a good my camera, not little, his little, little cheap kid, camera with the cube flash. A little kid from New Mexico. Right. I mean, my thing was like, oh, yeah. you got to have a Nikon camera to be, sure. a, to be a cameraman right. or to be a photographer. Sure. So it was a very funny thing. So that was, my, uh, that was my 15 minutes with the... Right, yeah. right. So what else? Was, what else did you acquire, kind of back then? Well, because I remember you showing me like works from the early graffiti writers. Were you yeah that rubbing think, elbows with them, or no, were you just I kind think, of collecting that later on? Yeah, I think that was that was a little bit later on because uh, you know even though I had met uh, like John Matos Crash, and still and Kenny Scharf by that by me. Yeah. I knew Kenny, and, and hopefully he'd remember me from those days. Sure. Um, but yeah, yeah was he I at dealt... those clubs back then too. Oh yeah, All yeah. That. Kenny was. Yeah. Ken, Kenny like, was I've the party. He's a Kenny guy. was the partier. Yeah. Kenny that's was what the. I he was the girl. Yeah. He was the fun one. I yeah. mean, if, as far as I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. You know. That's cool. You know, and he's I mean, still fun. And Francisco Clemente was kind mm. of mellow. You know. Yeah. And I, I don't. I don't know. There were personalities. There, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it was cool. a it was a clan. I mean, it was right. there were a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on back then. Yeah, you know? I mean, were you non-stop. seeing uh, graffiti on the subway trains back then? Oh, that's all there were. That, I mean, the, the, every the, were train. Were the insides racked? Ab- like just absolutely. with like just yeah. kind of racked with tags and stuff. Absolutely. But you got to see like full outsides painted and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you know, it would be fun to when you were taking something cross town or you know or or, or mainly. Uh, in uh, in Brooklyn, you know where you could see them, you know, so above you could ground. see the whole train, yeah, above yeah. ground in Brooklyn. You I mean, could that's see where that. like, yeah, there were famous like spots where the trains would kind of come around turns where right. the photographers the whole... would stop and catch them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that's, you, wow, you're lucky. Yeah, and I, I, I wasn't. <laughs> I yeah, wish I, I wasn't... had seen that era. Yeah, that was. Yeah, so much activity pretty... in that world. And you know that, and I can remember them talking about the. Um, there was some area where all the trains were parked at night, and that's where they'd go. The, exactly. And they'd the pay, stations they'd pay at off. the end of the line. Yeah, and they yeah. pay off some of the guys. Sometimes. Sometimes. Um, there's all kinds of things. Yeah, I learned from a guy who learned from riding in the subway system in New York. Yeah, yeah. a kid named uh, Agree is what we called him. That was his uh-huh. name. He moved here and probably. 
89 or 90 wow. from Brooklyn yeah. and became the mentor to like the to, whole graffiti oh, wow. scene here. And there was another kid from uh, uh, Venice, Los Angeles that came out around the same year and it just really put Albuquerque on the map in that way because we had That's right. really great teachers from both coasts yeah. in this really weird place in the desert. But we had unlimited wall space. Yeah. Um, you know, it was easy to steal stuff here because they hadn't really had that problem like New York had for so long. And I can't believe at that point in time that we didn't do that in the in the rave scene. I can't believe that we didn't incorporate the the it, it been really incorporated. Yeah, because it, it was it was one of those things. That it 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 kind of there was some, you know. There was a little bit of, of crossover, right? You know, but not not like I know exactly what you're saying. So much of that rave stuff, the flyers especially, were driven by the uh, computer app technology at right. the time. You know, I still have a pretty extensive rave flyer collection. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, great. They're fascinating. They are. Yeah. And you know, it's like I'll have one in my hand, and it brings back the memory you know, of the party in such detail. You know what? It's so funny. Because I don't keep any. I didn't keep yeah, anything. I that's have, cool. You know, it's I probably look, better. <laughs> I, have barely, I don't have any pictures from New York. I don't oh, have wow. any radio station pictures. I don't have mm-hmm. any. It's the craziest thing, really, you know. But sometimes Alfredo in, in, in Amsterdam will send me a picture or something, you know, that he's got a picture from back then. Yeah. Or, or uh, you know, uh, the, a kid I, I still know to this day really well, uh, uh, Darko in, in Germany will send something you know from from those days but it it is amazing to me that um that i i don't just i didn't i didn't think about that and and what what is the funniest thing today though for me is that mark farina who i've played with all over the years my absolute favorite for for a long time you know i was in playing in chicago we met and we became friends and you know i had him out here i've had him so many times out here and We've played uh, 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 all over together, but uh, he he will send me a flyer, you know, like before he comes out or something, he'll dig out the oldest, craziest flyer, you know, from way back when, and he's got all that stuff. He's that's, got that collection and he's kept it. It's a big piece of, of history. It's history. Yeah, it's physical. And it just makes me go crazy. It makes me, yeah. it makes me so it, pretty emotional, you know, about yeah. that, and he'd be surprised. I would never think that, but it's like, yeah, man, that was, those were little, those were, were, were big deals. There back were then. so many. Yeah. That's the thing, you know. Yeah. It can be hard to remember specific oh, ones, yeah, I but don't... with that flyer in your hand, and you see the lineup, right. and then you remember the location, right? Remember the the order of the DJs, even, you know, all and, those extras, you know. And I'll t- uh, and I'll tell you the big difference. Today, when you're talking about lineups, I mean, now every all the DJs they just want to be a superstar, so so they're going to play they're going to play their, they play. their bigger best whatever the bigger best it doesn't matter what time you play. Back then, it was all about a feeling. If we were opening, if I was opening, I'm starting the set out proper to to then showcase whoever's playing. You know, my my intent wasn't to 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 be the superstar 
And I, and I guess that's one of the reasons well, why I was, I opened so many shows for people and so many people had me open, but I, I was never, you, uh, you want to uh, yeah, set up the whole, the whole evening. It want, it As needs a dancer, I get that. Because I, I would sometimes show up to the raves pretty early and uh, you couldn't just like jump right into some hard, fast tempo uh, you like wouldn't. 1 a.m. kind of 2 a.m. stuff at like 10 o'clock. Like, right. come on, man, ease me into it. And I would yeah. go early knowing that, that probably the deep house or the down tempo guy or like mushroom jazzy yeah. guy was going to be playing earlier. And then the headliner would be like the four on the floor, like and, bang it out when you're as high as a kite. But then in the, mor- the morning sets were the best, too. That's yeah, what I remember so, Mark Farina right, playing. Right. Those oh, dawn those, sets. Yeah, he was the best at those right, dawn sets. Right, right. Everybody would just be coming out all smiley. You yeah. know, I remember one in Oakland. There was an outdoor area that was pretty neglected for most of the rave. Um, it was more where people went to kind of chill outside. But the inside, there was like five different spaces. You know, it was, it was a sure. monster, monster party. Monster. And, uh, yeah, we were kind of like getting ready to leave. And we're walking out. And Mark Farina was just starting his set. Mm-hmm. And we we're like, fuck that. We're staying. We're staying. Yeah. Yeah. Stay yeah I was with John Sheridan and that little yeah. Albuquerque yeah. crew. Right. And we're like, no, no, we're definitely staying. Yeah. And it was just such a great vibe, you know, because you could tell people were ready to go home. But they're like... Oh, I like what they're playing. We've been dancing for eight hours, but let's dance for another two. What the yeah, hell? Right. And all the security guards seemed like they had been got given E through the night. Yeah. And in the morning, they were the friendliest people <laughs> on earth. All these gigantic, scary security guys. They yeah. were so nice. All you kids, get home safe. We love y'all. Yeah. Come back to the next rave. This is so fun. I hope we get to do this all the time. Well, that's how they got hired for the next one. Oh, that was, oh, it was such a good, good time. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. There's some. Uh, yeah. I, I I was always hired in in Europe for the clubs in Europe because they were all night. Yeah. I was and you always were down hired. To go. Well, I was always hired to play the the set after the headliner. So if they okay. had a headliner, I always took over at four in the morning. Sure. So my set, you know, four to eight or so yeah. was always, the, you know, and I love that because, sure. you know, let's get rid of all the the people who are. are the, the, Oh, let's get rid of all the amateurs, and no, I, I want yeah. the I want the the people who are here for the long that, term. That, there's some magic that happens after yeah. four o'clock. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. It's a weird world after four o'clock. Yeah, yeah. God, I don't. I don't. You know, unfortunately, I don't get booked for those gigs anymore. You know, well, I don't know shit. if I could stay up. <laughs> I don't know if I could. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I could. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I kind of know about is the architecture stuff and your interest in architecture and kind of you did you have that the house that I was in back in the day was that something that you hired somebody to make yeah you, you know I've been lucky because well, I, have... I was in architecture school so and you, you were go. an early yeah. probably the first person I ever knew that actually worked with architects and made interesting yeah, I, things kind of you know yeah I mean. Um, I've been lucky to be able to to uh, to do that, you know. And I think the key for you know anybody, and in, in, in including somebody, I mean, you just for me it was about searching people who who uh, I really enjoyed their aesthetic, and then just just letting them letting them go, and you know, letting them be it's themselves. Such a big deal. 
That's a I hard mean, thing to do I mean, with the house. That's the thing. Like, you know, you can be like, oh, I love this guy's paintings. And be like, okay, how much can I afford? Maybe $2,000? Maybe $5,000? You know? But a house? Like, you're yeah. hiring somebody to build something that's easily yeah, six figures. Like, yeah, like you're going to stay in. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the thing. You know, it's such a bigger you got a deal. Real life. I feel like there's so few people that um, are in that position and also respect the art of the architect enough to let them do their thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you end up with some fantastic results. Yeah, I mean, the, I had a big house before. That's probably the house that you saw before. Yeah, it was know, quite it was big. big. Big house, but, you know, and there, so, um, you know, I think, I, but, but, you know, funny story is, is that I really wanted, uh, there's an architect, a Japanese architect, Tadao Ando, that I really wanted to I do. I love Tadao I really wanted him to do a house. Incredible, so I have a, minimal, I have a, concrete, I have a monolithic. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, and I have a beautiful rejection letter if you want to see it someday. Oh, that's funny. Well, <laughs> but anyway, you know, you have there. to try. We're in there, right? Yeah, you have to try. You sure. Know, that's that's one of the sure. things. Sure, throw it out so, there. So, uh, so uh, that that's kind of, you know, so it's not all, it doesn't all work out. But no, no, it doesn't even work out with painters the funniest, and stuff. The too, funniest you know? thing about whatever. The, the funniest thing about Tadao Ando is that, uh, is that I I, I really. You know, I got this wonderful lot, wonderful lot up against the mountain, you know, and I thought, well, yeah, he'll he'll want to do this, New Mexico. He sent me this nice letter that said, you know, hey, I'm not really looking at doing any more residential homes at this point in time. And, and uh, you know, and uh, we have so much museum work, et cetera, that I'm, uh, you know, concentration on. And it, what was the funniest part about it is about three years later, he did uh, Tom Ford's house in Galisteo. <laughs> And so that's a crazy project too. I remember when that that went up. Yeah, well, he did a mega home for Tom Ford yeah, in, in Galisteo, it and, it, and it's it like that arch kind that's of thing, right. the half yeah, arch. Yeah. It's the, pretty neat. Got horses. Oh, it's oh, an yeah. amazing home. Pretty neat yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, it's in a whole nother yeah. league. It's that's just it. Crazy. I know though too from studying architecture the uh, complexity of building someone's home, and the ergonomics and the, the little details. They can end up taking longer than a museum. I'm sure, yeah. You know, and the coding. Yeah, sure. You know, museums is more of an industrial kind of a building. Yeah. And again, then there's the money and the notoriety of those big projects. Right. I feel like even Frank Lloyd Wright went through that where, you know, he liked doing residences yeah. and loved that, but he had to do yeah. these bigger projects here and there. And it's funny, I, I've read a lot of, the, uh, of his... Uh, of the patrons, Frank Lloyd Wright. I mean, they ended up not not having a very good opinion of him after he was. No, done. he was a terrible it's a hard, man. It's hard to work with an architect. I've read uh, even the biography his son wrote. I mean, you can tell it was tense. His, yeah. Frank was not really impressed by his son's book at all, and was really kind of bummed that he would even do that. You know, yeah. it was a complex man. Yeah. And yeah, even. Um, the whole murder of his the, was his wife and daughter or his girl oh, oh yeah, it was his girlfriend yeah it was like the big scandal of the time he was wow. seeing a woman while he was still married i believe and some man came to his house with an axe and killed them Whoa. killed the the woman and i think a child Oof. yeah yeah he had a dark life wow yeah, but I didn't, incredible I didn't projects, but a real yeah. son of a bitch, a real egotistical yeah. monster. Well, yeah, and, and you know, it's just like 
I mean, I mean, I can tell you stories about Jean Michel too. I mean, he 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 was he had a point where he could be very he could be very nasty. You know, he yeah, could be very I get that very, very you know, there were times when you just think John does Yeah. We seem to have some but, you know, what we might think of now is just clash with mental health issues. Yeah. He yeah, probably I mean, yeah. could have really used a therapist and yeah. you know, yeah. maybe not so many hard drugs and all that shit too. Yeah. You know. But yeah, yeah. I mean he, he really was like almost living in a box for a while, right? Like yeah, I mean, there, well, it, you know, well, I mean, he was not afraid. I don't know for how long. Let, let me or tell whatever, you. But I can tell you, that he was story. he was not afraid of the street. That's no, one. That's one thing I can tell you. Certainly. You know, yeah, that was one thing that was very yeah. eye opening for somebody who was always kind of sheltered and lived in, you know, in in a yeah. in did, a in a nice, comfortable environment. Even though I, we didn't have any money. Did you, know, you see was, some of his uh, Samo graffiti? Those like. No, uh, that, I did I did see some I did see some of it. You saw yeah, some yeah, in yeah. person. But yeah, just because they were so funny. cool, those little like, it was like little expressions or quips yeah, or one-liners. Very funny about that because he was, he was adamant that he was not a graffiti. He was very almost ashamed oh, sure. of that. I he, think Doze Green explained that to yeah. me. Oh, that, there you yeah, go. he was like, yeah, he was. They they mingled, but Jean Michel was like, "No, I'm a I think, painter." By the way, I'm Doze, I, I've never even met Doze, and yeah. somebody I have a lot of respect for because Doze he is the shit. he yeah. was he was in the clubs all the time painting. Absolutely, you yeah. Know, I think he's in uh, Brazil now. I follow him on wow, Instagram. That's very cool. And his yeah. uh, work is still uh, is still pretty consistent. You yeah. know that yeah, yeah. he had some great stories to tell me. Or sad stories about how uh, AIDS ran through the oh, art well. community, yeah, and we it really talk showed about people's that. true colors. That like, you know, the gallerists wouldn't show up to certain people's funerals because there was a stink about AIDS, and it was just like, really, you represented them for years, and you're not going to go to their funeral? Like yeah. that's bullshit. And those really like categorized certain people in New York as like okay or not okay based on how they dealt with that situation. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I can tell you, uh, being there, um, you know, through some of that, that, um, you know, what we lost is crazy. I mean, the talent that yeah. was, that, you know, the, do you um, think though he would have just burned out anyway at some point, one way or the other, or I, I know because, because I mean, these people, you know, some of these people that I remember from, you know, not not really even being aware, but just from, you know, you go, Area, for instance. Area was a club where, you know, they redid. All these guys would come in and they'd do... I mean, the amount of time and effort and just creativity that it was to do those things. The kind of stuff that was on Broadway. These guys were working on Broadway, and then they'd come and do all this on their spare time and what they loved. Yeah. The DJs that were intensely creative and and amazing djs that were lost one after another yeah i mean it's it's unbelievable no that's what i understand it just just ravaged that whole scene it just killed so many people one after the other it was just devastating yeah yeah well i've got just a few minutes left you know what tell me about your life now what are you up to these days well now i'm i'm uh I'm happy to to just be concentrating on myself and trying to you know I'm still trying to do music. Um, uh, unfortunately, I have to have a oh, I have to work with the day job, so I'm using a finance degree to to cool. to, to to do that as well. You know yeah. because 
I got to retire at some point. Sure, sure. <laughs> so so uh, uh, I'm working with a, a green program for uh, utilities, uh, and I work for a large multinational company cool. that handles uh, uh, programs for uh, for utilities. But huh. that's you know, that's just a, a, a small portion of uh, of kind of where I am and 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 what I. I still play. I still do. You know, I still I stream. That's, yeah, and, I mean, I'm always trying to tell, like, tell young people like how to achieve their dreams and how we have kind of figured out our path to achieve our dreams. And yeah, part of that's a day job in a lot of a lot of cases too. Yeah. But you still have your still want to mix. Yeah, and you know, you, and yeah, your free and it's time not, and, and it's play not because, out when you can. And it's not because I need to do it. It's yeah. just because I feel like it's it's something that I can do. Yeah, you know, that's and I, fun. And I find it and I find it kind of easy and challenging at the same time. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah. Uh, it keeps me uh, it keeps me irrelevant, I guess. Yeah. Because I'm living in a spot that I love, but there's no clubs here. Yeah. You know, there's no big clubs that I can yeah. can really play and concentrate at. Yeah. And at this point, I don't want to start one. Sure. sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't want that liability. Right. I don't want that responsibility. Exactly. So, and and besides, when I was doing promotions and probably when you know, and even throwing raves from time to time, you know, there's a lot of that. That's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of side work. Just to get what you want to do, which is play, so so you you end up with all the all the shit. I threw my own raves a few times, yeah. and uh, it wasn't like I got to enjoy them per yeah. se because I was um, responsible for the whole fucking thing. Right, right. You know? So and so yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of better to go to somebody else's and, and party. One of, <laughs> yeah, and, and one of the reasons that people refer to Albuquerque and New Mexico Santa Fe as as having a great house community and so forth. Is because there were people like me who, who spent the time, money, and energy to to build and bring those superstar DJs, or you know what now are considered superstar DJs at that time, they really weren't. Yeah. But but you know to bring Frankie Knuckles and to bring uh, yeah. Little Louie no. Vega. Hey, I remember. Vega Thank you, Alden. Master, I remember. Of work I was at those shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carrie Chandler, Derek Hart. All, That's all of, just it. You know yeah. it goes on for. God bless you for that. Yeah, but but <laughs> anyway, anyway. Those were times when, yeah, I had to do the, I had to do the business aspect of it, yeah. and you know, and you, you, you don't really want to do that, and yeah. for I didn't for the creative part. I just wanted to be creative. That's cool. So wow, anyway. well, that's a great place to end. It. It's perfect timing. Man, I appreciate Thank you so you. much. I'm glad yeah, I, I learned so much about you just dude, now. Dude, I so that's appreciate right. and proud of what you've done and where you've where you've taken this. This oh, amazing. Thank you. So thank you so much. I have so much respect. Right on. Thanks. Thank